0: The Nerd Coliseum is now entering the semifinals of our first ever movie tournament. Two of our previous winners are going head to head, and this matchup is sure to be a nail biter for everyone. Join us in the Coliseum as Star Wars Episode I, the Phantom Menace versus The Matrix. Hey there, I'm Frankie.
1: And I'm Kristen.
0: Welcome back to the Nerd Coliseum. We're your host on a podcast where movies, TV, video games, or anything pop culture battles it out in rounds, tournament style, for the number one spot in our countdowns.
1: This is game five of our first ever tournament in the Coliseum, where the top eight grossing films from the year 1999 are battling it out until only one movie is left standing.
0: The first four games have already concluded. Now, if this is your first time joining us, we recommend going back and listening to those episodes first.
1: Yes, each episode will build off the last until the entire tournament of this season has concluded with a grand champion. This means that there will be seven games this season where the movies will face off against each other one-on-one.
0: Each of these face-offs will be judged on three specific criteria that have been randomly selected by our spinning wheel of chance. We will use these criteria to discuss and award points to the films, and the movie with the most points, in the end, wins the game round and moves forward in the tournament. The loser, unfortunately, goes home booted from this season.
1: Just like our criteria, our movie contenders have been paired off for battle using a random generator. Our winners will be decided based on the combination of chance and facts, along with other resources we, the host, may deem appropriate. But everything will take into consideration the criteria that has been selected by chance for the battle. Unlike other podcasts, the Nerd Coliseum doesn't rely heavily on the personal opinion of its hosts.
0: With that, let's take a look at today's game.
1: Today, we begin the semi-finals of our bracket-style tournament and are now seeing the victors of the first tier face off against each other.
0: In this episode, we have two major powerhouses in the Coliseum. The Matrix versus Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace.
1: Frankie, I don't know about you, but I am so torn about this round.
0: It will definitely be a tough battle for both of these movies. But before we begin the battle... It's time for the spinning wheel of chance to tell us what three categories these two movies will use to battle it out.
1: I can't wait for this one. Let's spin the wheel and find out.
0: The first category is going to be... Costumes.
1: Ooh, I am so excited to have this category. Costume is so often underappreciated in films when costumes often become one of the most iconic things you remember about that film. And arguably, costuming is what makes the characters really come to life. And both of these films have amazing costumes.
0: Oh, definitely. I agree. Put a Jedi robe on me right now. (laughs) (laughs) But let's see what the next category will be.
1: Second category is budget versus actual gain.
0: And the last category will be soundtrack.
1: Star Wars competing in the soundtrack category. Is that even fair?
0: That's what makes our format so interesting and unique. It's all about the random category that each movie will have to face off in. But who knows? Maybe The Matrix will have some hidden secrets in their soundtrack that we just don't know about yet.
1: You're right. Well, we'll get there soon. But first, it's time to begin our game with our first category, costumes. I know what a lot of you may be thinking. How can the Matrix even begin to compete with the lavish and larger-than-life costumes of Star Wars Episode One? How can black leather trench coats compete with the expansive wardrobe of Queen Amidala? But stick with me, and we shall see just how far down the rabbit hole goes. To start, the Matrix budget for costuming was not very large. The film was not expected to do well as production began for the project and every department was on a minimal budget. Yet every department in the Matrix found a way to make cheap look expensive. That included the costuming department. The costume designer on the Matrix was a woman named Kim Barrett. Barrett's budget was so low that she had to find substitutions and resources that would help her cut some cost. This included replacing expensive leather with a more stretchy and cheaper polyvinyl chloride or PVC leather, and also searching for end rolls left over from designer fabrics that she could grab and piece together into a full costume. Regardless of the small budget, Barrett worked hard at cutting quarters and it all paid off in the end. The Matrix has some of the most instantly recognizable costumes that include slick bodysuits, long, billowing trench coats, bondage pants, and even tiny sunglasses. Arguably, the costuming is one of the things that sets The Matrix apart from other films. It made the movie very stylized. Barrett admitted to Glamour that even though she had no idea the film would blow up as it did, that she still had a very specific goal in mind when designing the looks. She wanted to tell a story about what it would be like to live in that world. She wanted the costumes to feel like it was in a world of bigger possibility. The shiny sleekness of the costumes were meant to symbolize that transition between the real world and the computerized one. She even created each costume to evolve along with the character it embodied, especially Neo, who goes from the loose, scraggly office worker to the zen-composed hero of the Matrix. The sleek leather costume of Trinity sets her apart from the rest of the world almost immediately at the beginning of the film and puts us into this new environment. And the simplicity and neatness of Agent Smith shows us the unification and conformity of the agents.
0: All right, Kristen, you made some pretty compelling points. But let's take a look at the incredible lavish costumes of the Phantom Menace. When you think of Star Wars Episode One, the Phantom Menace's costumes... Some of you may think of the dark robes of Darth Maul and the robes of the Jedi, or maybe even the amphibious outfits of the Gungans. Like However, most of you probably think about the lavish and intricate outfits of Queen Amidala and the Naboo people. The lead costume designer for Episode One and all of the Star Wars prequel episodes was Trisha Bigger. Her designs for Queen Padme Amidala's costumes hold a special place in Star Wars fans' hearts, especially fans who love to cosplay. Bigger drew inspiration for Queen Amadala's outfits from Japan and Renaissance Europe, as seen through kimono-like elements, crossover robes and belts, and traditional Western-style royal trains. To add more Western elements to the costumes, large hats, headdresses, and wigs were added to the designs. Most of these headdresses required a lot of neck strength to hold up and careful movements for balance. In fact, Natalie Portman had to wear one of the heaviest and most uncomfortable headdresses in movie history due to its weight and height. You can probably imagine which one I'm talking about. It's the large headdress she wears with her galactic senate dress as she pleads to the senate for assistance. I've come before you to resolve this attack on our sovereignty now. I was not elected to watch my people suffer and die
1: while you discuss this invasion in a committee.
0: Additionally, Trisha Bigger worked closely with the concept artist for Episode One, Ian McCaig, in order to create color palettes for each costume that would reflect their planet of origin. For example, Coruscant costumes follow the color scheme of gray, brown, and black. Naboo is given green and gold, and Tatooine, of course, is sun-bleached, sandy colors. Star Wars Episode One has variety, color, and cultural infusions in their costume designs that continued on through the prequel movies and inspired the unique costumes of even the sequels.
1: I hear you, and you've definitely made some really good points. The costumes are beautiful and definitely very memorable. But there is one more thing that we have to consider. Real-world fashion. That's right, I'm talking about the real-world influence The Matrix has had on the fashion industry. The Matrix, along with films like Blade Runner in 1982 and Johnny Mnemonic in 1994, revolutionized the cyberpunk fashion craze. Cyberpunk and cyber goth fashions became a lifestyle for people who wanted to blend low-key living, fashion, and high-tech gadgets. The lifestyle depicts humans living in an urban dystopian future of highly advanced developments in science and technology. It is inherently science fiction fashion, and though Star Wars is science fiction, it did not add or even create anything new for the fashion industry. The Matrix did not invent cyberpunk, but it caused the fashion style to soar in popularity. The trend took off through the 90s and into the early 2000s and even continues a little bit into today. And I don't just mean with, like, a niche crowd. Fashion icons and celebrities like Kendall Jenner, Bella and Gigi Hadid, Kim Kardashian, and Lupita Nyong'o have been seen sporting the Matrix-style clothing with long trench coats, slick leather bodysuits, and narrow sunglasses. Not to mention the dozens of Matrix-inspired clothing lines.
0: All right. I see your point. Where there are certainly a lot of Star Wars costumes and T-shirts... There really are not a lot of people walking down the street in big Queen Amadala dresses, white geisha makeup, and kimonos, at least not here in the U.S. The costumes in episode one were certainly inspired by other cultures, but they failed to make any sort of impact on current culture. So I see your point on the impact that The Matrix has made, as well as the multiple meanings and world building the costumes do in the movie.
1: So are you saying what I think you're saying?
0: Yes. The winner of the category for costuming is... Go ahead and say it, Kristen.
1: The Matrix. No one has ever done anything like this.
0: That's why it's going to work. There is no denying that both movies did a great job on costuming. However, the part that the costumes play in The Matrix, as well as the part they have played in everyday fashion trends, really puts Kim Barrett's designs ahead.
1: It's hard to see the beautiful wardrobe of Queen Amidala lose this category. Big R did a phenomenal job with cultural fusion and bringing to life the Jedi culture through costuming. However, there has to be a little bit more to costuming than simply looking intricate and beautiful.
0: When you're right, you're right. And you,
1: you're always right. (laughs) Well, let's see how the Matrix does in our next category, budget versus actual gain. As I said earlier, the budget for the Matrix was not very large. After a series of script deals with Warner Brothers Studios, the Wachowskis were entrusted to write and direct their own film. The Matrix had been in their mind for a long time and was written to be a big budget film. However, the budget Warner Brothers gave them was only $60 million. This was a film that required a special effects budget, a martial arts training budget, comic book artist budgets for the storyboard, and even philosophy classes.
0: Do not try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. What truth? There is
1: no spoon. To save money, the entire movie was shot in Australia, which is a country that offers a 40% tax offset or rebate to producers. Despite some setbacks, including Carrie Ann Moss, who plays Trinity, spraining her ankle, and Hugo Weaving, who plays Agent Smith, cracking two ribs and breaking his hip, Warner Brothers liked what they were seeing and even increased the special effects budget by $3 million. Which means, in total, the budget for The Matrix was $63 million. But would this pay off? Well, of course it did. The trailer was so action-packed and showed Keanu Reeves dodging bullets in slow motion that it enticed a large number of people to fill the seats of theaters all over the world, resulting in a worldwide gain of nearly $466 million. This means the total difference between the budget and the actual gain was nearly $403 million.
0: Being part of a, such a huge franchise, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, had a much bigger budget than The Matrix. This film was George Lucas' baby, and something that he had been working on since 1994. Lucas had big plans for what he wanted to do with Episode One, and he needed a big budget to bring to life new planets, new species, and a 9-minute pod racing sequence. Ships needed to be created in the digital and real world, and actors had to be trained to fight with the lightsabers. Not to mention the incredible sound design budget to bring the pod racers and lightsabers to life. Of course, they could have always just hired Ewan McGregor, since he reportedly made those lightsaber noises during pre-production training. Uh, there, uh, to begin with, it was quite difficult not to make the sound. Yeah. And also when it goes away, because it makes that nice sh- noise when it goes down. The budget for Star Wars Episode One landed at $115 million. But did the profit soar? <laughs> Absolutely. It's a Star Wars movie. <laughs> its worldwide gain was a little over $1 billion, bringing the total difference between budget and gain... To nearly 913 million dollars.
1: Well, it's uh it's not even close is it? The winner for the category of budget versus actual gain is Star Wars Episode 1: The Phantom Menace. I'm a Toydarian. My tricks don't work on me. only money. Though The Matrix
0: is able to do a lot with its small budget and was a huge success to Warner Brothers, It just can't compete with the high-budget and high-profit of Star Wars. But let's see if it stands a chance in the last round. Soundtrack.
1: The opening to The Matrix not only introduces us to Trinity and her butt-kicking skills, but introduces us to the most memorable score from the entire film franchise, a score that was reused in all four Matrix films. The digital sound pulls us into this new world and sets the scene for our adventure down the rabbit hole. All right, before we continue more on our show, we'd like to give a quick shout out to one of our sponsors. Go ahead and tell them, Frankie.
0: Oh, yeah. We are very excited to share that our podcast, The Nerd Coliseum, is proudly sponsored by Dubby Energy.
1: Dubby Energy is the maker of clean, gamer energy drinks that help enhance focus, concentration, and reaction time with no jitters, crash, or bad ingredients.
0: Something that I think is great is that Dubby doesn't contain any calories, sugar, fillers, or any artificial colors.
1: Made by professionals, Dubby is produced in the USA in an FDA-registered and inspected facility that strictly adheres to GMP guidelines.
0: And they offer unique flavors, like... Dragonade, Dub Sludge, and the Galaxy Grenade.
1: Just mix one scoop of Dubby with six to eight ounces of cold water and shake. After drinking Dubby, even you will be ready to step into the Nerd Coliseum as a contender.
0: You can even look your best doing that, too, because Dubby also has hoodies, beanies, hats, shaker bottles, and more.
1: When Frank and I win a game all evening and be on the top of our game after a long day, we love having something clean and delicious to reach for to help us reach our maximum potential. Check out all Debbie's products on their website and order yours today. That website is www.debbie.gg.
0: And to get 10% off any website order, tell them that the podcast, The Nerd Coliseum, sent you.
1: Use the promo code TOURNAMENT. That's promo code TOURNAMENT. T-O-U-R-N-A-M-E-N-T.
0: Every one of your purchases made with that promo code gets you 10% off your entire order and also helps support this podcast. All right, let's give them the tagline,
1: Kristen. W-Energy, be better. Yeah. The Matrix soundtrack consisted of not only a movie score, but a slew of industrial metal, new metal, rap metal, electronic dance, and trip-hop songs from various artists. Those artists included big names such as Rob Zombie, Rage Against the Machine, The Prodigy, and my personal favorite, Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson's song Rock is Dead was featured as the end credits song. In order to get Manson to agree to let the song appear in the film, The Wachowskis brought Manson and the band in to see a rough cut of the film. Manson loved it so much that he immediately agreed. Manson even featured clips from The Matrix in his music video for Rock is Dead. Rage Against the Machine had only just debuted their first album. The most recognizable song, Wake Up, plays at the end of the film when Neo hangs up the phone. It became a huge hit following the film and helped push Rage Against the Machine's career forward. The song, even today, is a staple part of their concerts and is the encore song of each of their shows. Wake Up was so recognizable and impactful to the final scene of The Matrix that a cover of the song was reused in The Matrix 4 Resurrections. Each song and score was used to highlight key moments in the film and did so in such an explosive way that audiences wanted to continue listening to the music and artists whose music was used in the film. The soundtrack went gold and platinum in 11 countries, including the U.S. and Australia, and sold over 2 million copies.
0: The soundtrack for Star Wars Episode One was composed and conducted by the legend himself, John Williams. The music was performed by the London Symphony Orchestra, London Voices, and New London Children's Choir. The soundtrack album was released by Sony Classical Records on May 4, 1999, which was two weeks before the film's theatrical release. Which, if you paid attention to track number 15 and 16 prior to watching the movie, you were unfortunately in for a big spoiler. Those tracks, of course, were called Qui-Gon's Noble End, and Qui-Gon's funeral. In anticipation of the long-awaited film, the soundtrack was Certified Platinum in the United States where it debuted and peaked on Billboard 200 at number 3, and Certified Gold in the United Kingdom where it entered the UK album charts at number 8. One of the most notable tracks, of course, is Duel of the Fates, which uses the chorus to give us a religious temple-like feel to that epic lightsaber duel. The soundtrack was nominated at the Grammy Awards for Best Score Soundtrack for Visual Media.
1: So, both soundtracks did remarkably well. However, The Matrix had more than just background music. It had popular artists, which meant there were songs that people would listen to over and over again.
0: True, but those songs were really only for a niche crowd during that time period when those genres of music were arguably at their peak.
1: Alright, you got me there. Plus, I mean, how could I deny that Star Wars music will always be some of the most recognizable scores in cinema history? John Williams is just a musical genius and knows exactly how to stir those emotions with those French horns.
0: Though both soundtracks performed well worldwide, I think we should only focus on the original songs written for the film, which is the score for both movies.
1: I agree. The Matrix has some really interesting and heart-pumping music that really made that world come alive. However, most people aren't going to recognize any music from the Matrix. Where someone who has never seen a Star Wars film would recognize the opening title music as well as some music made specifically for The Phantom Menace such as Duel of the Fates. With that
0: being said, I think it's time to bring the last and final category to a close. Both movies stand at one point each. And the winner of this category will move on to face off in the final game of our very first tournament. Kristen, would you care to reveal the winner of this semi-final game?
1: I'd love to. This was so hard because both films and soundtracks held a special place in my heart. However, how could I possibly deny the genius that is John Williams? The winner of this semi-final round and the film moving into the finals is Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace.
0: I can't believe it. The crowds are going nuts. Congratulations to Episode One! but I'll admit it, I was a little worried that Star Wars was going to be saying goodbye today.
1: Me too. However, I'm still very sad to see the Matrix leave us.
0: Well, you never know. Maybe The Matrix will return one day as a contender in the Coliseum.
1: Well, that concludes Game 5 here in the Nerd Coliseum. Thank you for listening! Don't miss out on our future games and tournaments, and remember to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review if available through your podcast provider.
0: The Nerd Coliseum is available wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to us or find a link to your favorite podcast provider at www.anchor.fm slash The Nerd
1: And if you enjoy our show, you can support us at anchor.fm slash The Nerd slash support. We are striving to improve our show with every episode, and we would appreciate your help with reaching our goals.
0: You can also help by spreading the word of this podcast. Follow and share us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or find us on YouTube, where we provide the same podcast experience with closed captioning.
1: And if you'd like to see a certain matchup go down here in the Nerd Coliseum, let us know. Anything from movies, TV, video games, or pop culture can battle it out. Talk to us by emailing Coliseum at gmail.com. Colosseum is spelled as in the Roman Colosseum, C-O-L-O-S-S-E-U-M. I'm Frankie. And I'm Kristen.
0: That's all for now.
1: Until next time, bye-bye.